Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You want to be successful because, especially within the context of the story, Joseph's success in life came because of his connection with God. God was blessing him because he was a faithful young man, even thrown into the worst situation possible. And we see it through his character because all the external pressures are going to cause what's inside of him to come out. And what's inside of him is a complete determination to follow God and to not waver on that. That's what was inside this kid. And he was successful. The Lord blessed him because of that. God blesses those who consciously choose to live for him in their daily lives. Just like Joseph in the Bible, God will always be with those who love him to give them comfort in the midst of any struggles they may go through. Today, Pastor James takes you to the story of Joseph to see how his heart was focused on God. When pressure comes, what's truly inside your heart will come out. Through Joseph's life, we can see how much God blessed him because of his continued obedience to his Heavenly Father. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis, chapter 39, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. classic chapters of the book of Genesis. Genesis 39, we're going to deal with this young man named Joseph, who is one of my all-time favorites, two guys specifically from the Old Testament, Joseph and Daniel. Those are my heroes. I love those guys. When I get to heaven, I'm going to find those guys, and I'm going to hang out with those guys, because their stories fascinate me. Nobody's greater than Jesus, but these guys are just exemplary in their character, and I want to be more like them. Right? Like, I just want to be more like these guys. And in chapter 39, as we're going to see, it speaks just volumes as to who Joseph was as an individual. We understand the concept. If you have enough external pressure on something, whatever is on the inside of that is ultimately going to come out. You understand that, right? You take a grape, you put enough pressure on that thing, whatever's on the inside is coming out. You take a stress ball, Whatever is on the inside of that, you apply enough pressure, as my children discovered just a couple nights ago, all that stuff's going to come out, okay? Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's really bad. For me, it was really bad, because that stuff's disgusting, stress ball, goo. I don't know what it is, but enough external pressure will draw out whatever's happening on the inside. Sometimes that can be good things. My personal experience, a lot of times, it's bad things, if I'm honest, if I'm honest. I just spent six months in a vice, kind of getting squashed by Jesus, I think. They would call it the vine press or the olive press, so to speak, going through fostering and all that stuff. And the Lord's just like squeezing me because apparently there's a lot of selfishness still contained in this container, this clay vessel. But there are times when good things can come out. Good things can come out. And then that's the process. Like, that's the journey we're on in following Jesus. It's not so much that it's always good stuff. And when bad things happen, we just carry a smile on our face and we have all the right answers. And that's not what it's about. What the journey is about is getting out the bad stuff and you looking more and more like Jesus every single day. Because let me tell you this, the pressure and the squashing and all that stuff is never going to stop. It will never stop in this life. It will never stop. So if you're hanging on like, well, maybe it'll just get better one day. 
Maybe, but what if it doesn't? What if we need to take some time just to say, you know what, Lord, whatever's happening on the inside, can you just work on that with me? Because Joseph went through an an extremely stressful situation within his life, and what came out was good stuff. And this is a 17-year-old kid we're talking about. Not a 40-year-old man, right? This is a 17-year-old kid, and I'm like, who are you? I want to be like this guy. I want to be like this guy. So hopefully that's some things that we can kind of come away with today as we look at this classic story, Joseph and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife and all this fun stuff that we're going to look at. Let's look at verse 1. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt, I'm reading now New Living Translation, just so you know. I like the way it phrases this story was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders. He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, right? He's like high up in the rankings. Before you can even get there, you have to understand that Joseph has brothers. More specifically, he has 11 brothers, but really it was the 10 older brothers of his, because he's got a younger brother named Benjamin, who hated him so much that they came up with this idea of, let's kill him. Why would they come to that conclusion? Well, because Jacob, their dad, favored Joseph more than all the other brothers. And so he got all the attention. He was the spoiled kid of the family. You maybe understand what that's like. You maybe can relate. But all of the attention and the negativity within the family was directed at Joseph himself. Jacob, he should have never favored one child above the other. He should have never done that. But we can understand why he would if we're actually treating him like a human being. Because Joseph was the first child of his beloved wife, his favorite wife, the only wife he ever wanted. And so if you're looking at him as just a normal human being, which is what he was, we can understand why he would do this. Now, does that make it right? Not at all. Not at all. Because none of his other sons were worth any less than Joseph. They all should be treated the same, equal, right? But his brothers hated him. They despised him. They just concocted this idea of like, well, let's just kill him. And then one brother had enough sense to say, well, why should we murder him? Let's just sell him as a slave. Well, his idea was, let's throw him in this pit. And when you guys leave, I'll rescue him and I'll bring him to dad so that dad will now like me and maybe I can be the heir to the family because he lost that. But that plan didn't work out so well for him nor for Joseph. And so they sold Joseph as a slave. He ends up in Egypt. And what we need to understand about this is as he goes from Canaan, which is Israel, down into Egypt, Egypt is a foreign land for him. He doesn't speak Egyptian. He doesn't speak Egyptian. He knows nothing about their culture. He wasn't raised in their school system. He doesn't know any. He may have heard stories and all that good stuff. There still was a rich history concerning Egypt. And at this point in time in history, Egypt was one of the ruling nations of the entire world. The middle century dynasty is what was happening here within Egypt. And they were experiencing some really good times. And so here's Joseph, a 17-year-old young man who gets brought down into this new place doesn't speak the language, and maybe there were some communication barriers. If you just put yourself in the story, you can understand that. It's not just like he went you know, across the border into New Mexico, and it's like, well, they still speak English, and we can understand each other. No, it's like he's in a whole new world, and he's got to figure it out. Plus, he's a slave now. He was the chosen son. He was the heir. He was the favored one. Now he's worth nothing. He's worth nothing. 
as far as everybody else is concerned, because this whole slavery thing is brand new for the Egyptians at this point in time. This is all new for them. This isn't something that they had going for a long time. This is something that they were just recently introduced into their whole economical system. So there's Potiphar. He's one of the higher-ups within the Egyptian government. He's going to buy Joseph as his slave. Here's the key to this whole chapter. You're going to see this repeated several times. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So the worst thing is happening to him. All this external pressure is happening in his life. My goodness, he was probably pretty sure that his brothers were going to kill him. He had the stress of that. Then he's thrown into this ditch, and he's left there. Then he's sold to these people that he doesn't really know. And the external pressures are going off within his life. And all his DNA, we have these stress receptors and all this stuff. And our bodies are constantly looking for some sort of outlet to relieve the pressure. you got to relieve the pressure. The stress is mounting for him. However, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. You want to be successful in this life? This is not like a prosperity thing. But you want to be successful in this life? And you should. Nobody should sit there saying, like, I don't really want to be successful. Like, that's not my goal. That's bad, okay? You have no ambition. You want to be successful in this life. Now, what success means can look differently. Doesn't mean you have like a ton of money and all this stuff. Maybe that's what the Lord blesses you with. Success can vary concerning within the kingdom of God. You want to be successful because, especially within the context of the story, Joseph's success in life came because of his connection with God. God was blessing him because he was a faithful young man, even thrown into the worst situation possible. And we see it through his character because all the external pressures are going to cause what's inside of him to come out. And what's inside of him is a complete determination to follow God and to not waver on that. That's what was inside this kid. And he was successful. The Lord blessed him because of that. Not only is he going to bless him, but he's going to bless even the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar. And Potiphar is going to recognize this as well. So here's Joseph, 17-year-old kid. I'm going to say kid. He's a young man who is just remaining faithful to the Lord. Now, look at the contrast between him and a chapter before this with his older brother, Judah. Judah went through stressful moments within his life, too. His wife died. His two sons, his oldest son, died. His middle son married his oldest son's wife because culturally that's what you're supposed to do. That son died. And then he had a younger son who was supposed to be married to that same lady named Tamar because, again, culturally, you've brought her into your family. You were supposed to take care of her. And Judah's like, I've already lost two sons and I lost a wife. I'm not going to lose my younger son. He's got external pressures within his life as well. What does he do? He goes and hooks up with a prostitute because he needs a release of all the stress. You see the character difference between the two? Here's Judah, who Jesus comes from Judah's line. His thing is not like, I'll go to God with my stress. He's like, I'll look to find relief physically for my stressors. And I got him into a whole world of a mess. He does hook up with Tamar, his daughter-in-law. She gets pregnant. And then he sees at the end of that story, like, 
man, she was more righteous than I was. Now, this is a lady who pretends to be a prostitute, and Judah's saying, like, man, she's better than me. Character-wise, she's better than I am. So that's within Joseph's family. This is what's happening within his family. But here's this young man who's sold into slavery, and he ends up in a foreign place, and he's serving here, and he's just like, I'm just going to keep following Jesus, essentially. Now, I know we can say that. Ultimately, he is following the Lord. He's like, I'm just going to follow the Lord. And we see at the end of this story, several chapters later, that Joseph's going to tell his brothers, like, listen, you meant this to hurt me, but God meant it to save you. So there's nothing you can do that's going to touch me because God's in control. And it may be hurtful. It may be stressful. But ultimately, God wins. God wins. And so that's his whole perspective as he's here in Egypt. Now, did he sin? Of course, Everybody in the Bible sinned except for one person. His name is Jesus. But we just don't have any account of where this guy slipped up. I mean, the Bible is just highlighting this young man's character. So there he is. He's working in the house of the Egyptian master. And just culturally, if you don't mind, because I did the homework, so let me share this with you. Because I had a ton of fun just looking up this stuff. I love history. And I don't know, for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I just loved Egyptian history. I don't know why. Maybe it's the pyramids. I have no clue. But so I'm like doing all this research and everything. And I want to know, well, what's life like in Egypt at this point in time? Because you're dealing with 2000 to 1960 BC is when this was going on. So I'm like, what was life like for these guys? Well, not much different than life than how it is for us in one sense. I mean, some things have changed a little bit, but... Potiphar would be so preoccupied with work that he would hardly be home. He would come home to eat and to rest and to have lots of babies with his wife. That's how they did things. The only reason they got married was to have children. Romance was not something that they pursued at this point in time in this culture. Now, were people romantic and all? Of course, absolutely, of course. But the family unit was essentially... A guy marries a girl so that they can have lots of kids. That's it. That's it. And they would have multiple babies, as many as they could, and the wife would usually be the one who runs the household. That plays into the story. Because here's Joseph, who has been appointed the leader of the household, so to speak. Potiphar is trusting him with everything. But there's Potiphar's wife. And her job, now you need to understand, just like it is today, there are differences as well. Potiphar's a higher up, so they probably get to live in a little bit of luxury. And Potiphar's wife probably didn't have to do all that much, right? Because they could afford servants. And she could lounge around all day doing whatever she wanted to, checking her Facebook or whatever she needed to do. She's just scrolling or she's on who knows, some all sorts of stuff. Joseph has been placed in this situation not by happenstance, not by coincidence, but by God. See, God is going to allow him to be placed within this specific family for a reason. Verse 3, Potiphar noticed this. What did he notice about Joseph? He noticed that the Lord was with him. I would hope that when I'm out within the community and interacting with people, especially people who may not know the Lord, I would hope that the one thing that they notice about me is that I have a relationship with Jesus. Joseph didn't have to go into Potiphar's house with his Jesus t-shirt on or anything like that or playing any type of music. Joseph went into Potiphar's house and just lived his life like he was in love with God. And Potiphar, the Egyptian, 
who serves multiple gods, took notice of it immediately and said, there's something different about this kid. There's something different about this kid, and I want this kid in my house because he's successful and he's making me successful. That's the conclusion that Potiphar came to. He's a very intelligent man. He's a smart guy. He knows you know, a good deal when it comes by his way, and so he's going to capitalize on it. He notices, he realizes the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what was for dinner, except for what he was going to eat. Imagine that. Like, this is a guy who's a higher up within the Egyptian government. Like, this guy deals with a lot of things and a lot of external pressures. He understands responsibility and consequences and all that stuff. And here's this 17-year-old young man where this grown man says, I want you to run my family business. I want you to be in charge of everything that I have. Can you think of any 17-year-olds in your life where you'd be like, you know what, I'm just going to go away for like a couple of months. You got it. You got it, right? There's not many. There may be some that are out there. I wouldn't doubt that at all. Joseph was just, and again, it's the character. And it was all just an overflow of his relationship with the Lord. Potiphar recognized that. And then please understand this as well. Joseph was an extremely intelligent individual. He was an extremely intelligent individual. And that's one of the reasons why I just love this guy so much. He's so business-minded. I love that. I absolutely love that. And even from the beginning, he's like, yeah, I'll run your house. Now watch what I do. I'll just reorganize everything. Is that cool with you? Because I'm going to make it better for you. And your crops and your livestock, even though Joseph has no control over those things, in flourishing and to a certain degree, everything that he touched, it's like the Midas touch. It just turned to gold. It just turned to gold. And Potiphar's like, man, this is good. I won the lottery with this kid. I won the lottery with this guy. So you can understand Potiphar, he's got nothing to worry about. How awesome would that be? Think about that. You got somebody living in your house. They do everything for you. Chores, bills. They take care of all the stuff. All you got to do is just say, hey, what's for dinner? I'm not even going to worry about that because he probably has the best chefs around to cook up the best food. Like, you have nothing to worry about. Potiphar had it really good, and he recognized that, man, there was something different about this kid, and it's the God that he serves, and so he wanted him close to him. Probably he saw this as a relationship that would last until the end. That is until you have a desperate housewife within your home who's like, hey, I recognize this young man. He's, as the Bible is going to say, this dude's a stud. Like, not just intellectually, but like physically. The Bible doesn't give us many physical details about characters within the Bible. There are a few here and there. But Joseph, from what the Bible says about Joseph, you know, this is like, I don't even know if these shows are still on, but Bachelor material, right? That's the guy you want in your movies. He's the one who's going to fill the seats in the theaters. This is the guy. And so Potiphar won the lottery, and now Mrs. Potiphar, I don't know her name, She's thinking like, well, maybe I won the lottery too, right? Because she gets to spend all day with Joseph. 
It's not going to go well. Sin's always going to mess up stuff. Sin will always creep in and just derail things for sure. But here he is. Here's Joseph, again, living in a foreign country. And so we understand this, spiritually speaking, this world we live in is Egypt. The Bible equates the world we live in with Egypt. This is not our home. This isn't our home. And if you're a believer in Christ, your residency is in heaven. Your identification card, your whatever that may be for you, should read heaven, new heaven, new earth. That's where you're destined to live. Until then, this world is likened to Egypt. So if you're looking at this story, it's like, yeah, this is kind of a cool historical story, and you know, there's some good things within it. No, this applies to us where we're at today as well. There's, there's a lot of good things within this. But we're living in a land that's not our home either. And I can guarantee you this, if it hasn't happened to you, this will happen to you probably multiple times. Every single one of us will have a quote-unquote Potiphar's wife pursuing us all the time. This isn't about just like young men and young men be pure and all that. Yeah, absolutely. This is for us as the body of Christ. You got to watch out because there's always going to be Potiphar's wives pulling on your apron, so to speak, looking to become one with me. That's the battle within Christianity. And it's not that we're so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. No, we're here because God has placed us here and we're on a mission for his kingdom. And we live in this world and we reach out to the people of this world. Absolutely. We don't go live in monasteries or anything like that. We don't seclude ourselves from the world. We're here for a reason, for his gospel. That's what we're here for. So we don't run away from the stuff, but we have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves as we live in this Egypt, being just cautious and knowing like, man, the enemy is around every single corner looking to see how he can trip us up. So there's Joseph in Potiphar's house, and you know, Potiphar's got nothing to worry about. Now here's the next verse here as it goes on. Joseph, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built Young man, I love New Living Translation. I just love it. Handsome in form and appearance. That's right, but it just doesn't do the same job that New Living Translation. No, he was handsome. He was a very handsome, very, emphasis on the very, okay, in the original language, very handsome. He's cut. Like, he's well-built. He's jacked. I don't know what terminology you need to convey this, but, you know, he's CrossFit before CrossFit was even a thing. Like, he's just walking around. He's just, veins are popping out all over. I mean, he's a stud. And Potiphar's wife's like, well, hold on now. This just got interesting. Because I see all these other slaves and servants. But then I see this guy, this young man, new to the scene. And yet he is, intellectually, he's a brilliant guy. Physically, he's an attractive man, well-built, he's young, all that good stuff. But I would think that even his relationship with the Lord would almost be an attraction in and of itself, because that's a, that's a reality too. Sometimes people will be attracted to you because of your relationship with the Lord, and you have to be cautious about that stuff. I mean, how many pastors have been brought down? As they stand on the platform, as if this is anything special, and they communicate, and people think, like, oh, they have it all together, and they're so spiritual, and, and all this stuff, and they just fall in love with them, quote unquote, and it's never good. 
So sometimes even that relationship or even what we would perceive as a relationship that isn't always there is an attraction in and of itself. The beginning of the world has been a hotly contested topic for some time now, and the debate has caused many to dig deeper into their origin. The simplest answer is often the one that's correct. Our world and everything in it was molded and placed in its orbit by a supreme being, God. The account of this beginning and the first people to walk the earth is recorded for us in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. God's authority over nature and humankind has been evident from the start. He simply spoke and all took shape. God formed people to inhabit this beautiful planet, to care for it and for each other. Pastor James Grizzle has been taking the time to share God's plan for life from the pages of Genesis. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue the story. If you missed any part of today's message on Bread for the Broken, don't worry. You can find it now on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Listen through all of Pastor James' teachings that we've made available there, and feel free to share them with any friends or family you think would find it helpful. That website again is breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad you chose to spend time with us today, and we want you to know that we're keeping you in our prayers every time we produce another edition of this program. Each edition of Bread for the Broken is made with our listeners in mind, and we want to make sure our Creator is the first one we're all turning to. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Bread for the Broken. It's our prayer that every listener finds hope and new life in Jesus.